a seat. Good morning, good morning. We are going to continue this series, and uh, this is part 11 of this series, and um, I I, I can promise you this, next week will be the last part of this. We're going to wrap up the entire book of Ephesians next Sunday with the closing and the, the final mystery that is revealed, and it's awesome, but that means we've got to talk about a lot of stuff today. <laughs> There's so much in this passage that we're going to read that I know a lot of ministers say this, and I've, I've said this, and I'm guilty of this. I'm sorry. We could like make a whole series just on this lesson. And I think it'll become obvious how like dense and like rich it is. But let's read the passage first, and then we'll go through it. And I think you'll realize, like, oh man, is he really gonna like dig into all of that? We we can't, but I would encourage you for you to dig into all of it. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. This is what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in uh, in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is it. This is the full armor of God scripture. I'm sure if you grew up going to church, I'm sure you did cutouts of this, and you probably did, I don't know, flannel graph, if anyone remembers that. But we, as churchy folk, have have read this many, many times, and it's beautiful. We're going to go through it, and I'm not going to do what... I thought of doing and what is usually done with this verse, and we'll get to that at the end. But I want to start at the beginning, and my first point is this, the, the spiritual realm. We got we to gotta start here. I mean, it literally, let's read that. Let's go back to the beginning of that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full of armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you can, you, you can become a Christian and not really believe any of this stuff. Like, you, 
you need to have faith in Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord. You need to believe that he died on the cross and raised from the dead for your sins. But I know lots of Christians that struggle with believing in the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, powers and authorities and all of that. And I would say you, you can become a Christian and not fully buy into like the spiritual realm on some level. But what Paul is saying is, is if you really want to move on to maturity and stay faithful for the rest of your life, you're going to have to learn to see reality through this lens. And he echoes this in Colossians. So he's mentioning these, these types of things or these spiritual beings. And he calls them rulers, authorities, powers, force, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our, our simplistic view of heaven and, the, and heavenly spiritual realm is that like there's angels up there and there's demons down there. And he's like, well, what if, what if that's not how it is? What if there's spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? And like, I don't know what that means. But in Colossians, he says almost the same thing. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And it's a common language. Paul is consistently telling the church there is a spiritual realm, just like there's a physical realm. We live here, but there's this other stuff that affects us. The, 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 the forces and the beings in the spiritual realm are actively involved in, in our life, in our walk, in our faith, in some way. Good and bad. And it, it can kind of, like, for us, we're so modern, we're so, like, academic in our thinking. We can read this stuff and we're like, oh, that sounds like, you know, ancient myths for old dead people that it doesn't apply to us anymore. And I get it. I totally understand if that's the way you're just wired. Where when you hear about, like, angels or demons, you're like, oh, can we just talk about, let's just live right and I don't need to focus on that stuff. But here's, here's my point, and we're gonna, I can't spend a lot of time on this, but I'm, I do believe this, guys. Belief in an active spiritual realm is necessary for maturity and perseverance. You don't need to, like, get it all. You don't need to understand, like, cherubim and seraphim and Elohim and the divine council and all of this stuff. You don't need to know that to become a Christian. But... You need to start turning your mind towards this other side of reality if you want to make it long-term. So why is that? Well, because exactly what Paul said. Our fight, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But what is it, what is it against? Forces in the spiritual realm. And when we refuse to care about the spiritual realm, we're always going to be drawn back to my struggles against flesh and blood. And you'll see it in your relationships or your lack of relationships. You'll see it in your ability to work through problems in relationships. You'll always be looking through the lens of humans, human interactions, human problems. And I'll go so far as to call that a form of humanistic Christianity. So when you have a problem with someone, that becomes your fight. And if you're like, oh, that guy, uh, and I say, well, have you prayed? 
Like, yeah, I'll pray for him to stop doing that. You'll stop praying for people. You'll start caring more about behavior than actual repentance. And it's dangerous. Your faith in God will depend more on how other people treat you. Your faith in God will depend on how other people treat you. And you will be blind to spiritual forces at work around you. And that's where Paul starts this passage. Like, hey, we're going to talk about some stuff, but hey, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes that you may not know about. And we're going to kind of come back to this a couple times in this lesson. But this is just where I wanted to start. And so if you struggle with this, just, that's fine. Just talk to someone about it. It's okay. Point number two, we're cruising. Stand. This is arguably what this passage is about. And this is what he says. In these few verses, he mentions the uh, stand four times. So that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Now there's some different Greek words and root words at, at play here. One, this one is about like resisting. Like, with, like withstanding. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Which is Beautiful is poetic. To stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, and then he goes on to the armor. Peter echoes this in 1 Peter 5. Resist him, talking about the devil. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Some of the same Greek root words here. And then testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So we're getting a hint of like the, the idea of it's not all the same meaning we're, we're talking. It's one word stand, but it means different things. One is like resist, like fight back. But another one is like stand strong and be firm. And the other one is like persevere. Stand fast in it. And this goes back to what we, we talked about. Because I think when coupled with a, a, a lack of awareness of the spiritual realm, this becomes like just background noise and it's not a priority. This idea of I am going to stand firm in my faith to the very end of my life. I will stay faithful no matter what happens. And I remember when I became a Christian, someone was like, well, what if we all leave you? Will you still be a disciple of Jesus? And I was like, yes, not thinking that would actually happen, and then it actually happened. And so then the question would be like, what's it going to take for you to stop standing? What is someone, what is someone Another person. What what does someone or some human entity need to do to you to make you turn your back on God? And you might be like, nothing. Because that's the church answer. But that's not true. There's something. There is something in your life. If someone does something to you, you will be like, this is stupid. I'm done with all you people. And then you'll leave. And you should know what that is. 
And it goes even deeper than that. So here's my question. What is more important than standing firm in my faith? And again, I know everybody's like, nothing, because that's the right answer. But I have watched people walk away from God for the silliest reasons. People drama, just like we discussed. <laughs> when, you're, when your struggle is not against evil forces in the, in the heavenly realms, but it is against flesh and blood. Uh, I'm just going to call it out. We have a lot of issues in our society that fight for our attention and our passion. And this issue will be like, hey, I'm the thing that should get you fired up. I'm the thing that should get you angry on both sides. I've seen well-meaning Christians get wrapped up in the culture war and they're like, Starbucks took away Christmas cups. Oh my gosh, like go to war with them. And it becomes like the most important thing. Guys, I believe, I believe that God is a God of justice, including social justice, but we have seen people get derailed in their faith by going after more political issues. And it's like, if you're not focused on standing firm in the faith, you're going to look over here and then ignore it, and this will be your thing. You'll be like, this is my issue. And then when you come back, you're like, I guess I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really feel this way anymore. And this is politics. This is what we talked about the last two months at midweek. We're like, this becomes, our, this becomes our fight. This becomes our kingdom. This becomes our battle. And it's more important than standing firm in the faith. And so I'll just tell you, you need people in your life that are balanced, that are, that are kind of span both sides of, of issues, and that are both more concerned about standing firm in the faith than fighting over these human things. And so when you start to drift, they can be like, hey, come back over here. But sometimes we can be kind of in homogenous clumps of people, echo chambers, and then they're all saying the same thing, drifting downstream. Or worse, anyone who disagrees, we're like, they're the enemy. And now we're here, here we are back, struggle against flesh and blood. So when someone in your life is like, hey, I'm concerned because it feels like you're prioritizing this thing more than loving people the way Jesus loved people, seeking, saving the lost, unity in the body, all of these things. And so I, I would just ask you to explore this in your hearts even this week. Like, is there anything that like, really gets me riled up to the point of like turning my back on my faith? And you're never going to you're never going to think of it that way. It's never like turning your back on. It's just like shifting your focus. It's a distraction from your faith, honestly. And that doesn't mean you can't be passionate about things. You should. It doesn't mean you can't have issues. But you've got to be careful when that issue becomes your main issue. Amen? All right, here we go, guys. Point three, with and without armor. We're going to spend the rest of our lesson right here. We're going to talk about the armor of God. And I've heard many sermons about the armor of God. And they're all great. They're fine. I'm not going to 
like discredit any one of them. But I'm always, in, I'm always amazed that we talk so much about the actual pieces of armor. We're going to do that a little bit here. But I'm, I want to primarily focus on like what does the armor represent? What are the actual character traits or attributes of God that we see in the scripture? Not just the armor. But let's read it. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's the armor. There's six things there. And they are the belt, the breastplate, the shoes or the feet fitted thing, the shield, the uh, helmet, and the sword. And yet, man, we can dig into this. If you want, Chad, who was here a couple weeks ago, he did a great lesson on this where he, man, he broke down every single piece of armor and, what, and like how it's made and what it means and how it relates to the thing. I'm not going to do that. You can go listen to his sermon if you want. I'm going to talk about these things. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, salvation, and the word. Oh, faith, salvation, and the word. And so here they are. And rather than talk about each piece of armor, I want to talk about each spiritual attribute that Paul is trying to get the church in Ephesus and us to, to see. We need these. And I want you, I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to paint a very clear picture. I hope this doesn't come off as like mean or aggressive or downer. But I'm going to try to paint a very clear picture of what it's like when you don't have this in your life. Because rather than you leaving thinking, man, I know a lot about armor today. I'd rather you go leaving thinking, man, I know a lot about how my heart reacts when I'm neglecting one of these spiritual attributes. Hopefully our heart is convicted. Hopefully we can diagnose some things we might need to focus on. And so here's the armor, the belt, the the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. And Paul, the question is like, why why armor? Why did did Paul use armor to talk about these things? And maybe it is, maybe each one, maybe like truth is like a belt. And we 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 could go down that path and we could go down each path of why the thing is like the thing. Maybe Paul connected all of these to a piece of armor simply because of one reason. That he knew that you needed all of them to be complete. And he mentions that. Put on the full armor of God. It's not as important that truth is like a belt as it is that all of these work together The same way a Roman soldier, if he showed up, if he reported for duty and they were like, hey, we're going to put down an insurrection and everybody shows up and this dude's barefoot. They'd be like, "You're, you're practically useless to us right now. He's like, I got everything else. They're like, yeah, but hello. Or without the helmet. He shows up, he's got fully dressed except the helmet. And they're like, well, you're dead. And a soldier without any one of these is drastically weakened. They're not, it's not like, you know, whatever the fraction of sixth. It's not one-sixth, 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 one-sixth. It's like you cut one of these out and you're down to like 10%. And 
And maybe that's what Paul is trying to communicate. It's like, it's not that, you know, faith is, is a shield. It's that all of these things, you need to be working on all of these things. My best analogy is like they're the systems of a body. This is like the skeletal system, muscular, nervous, digestive, uh, respiratory, and circulatory systems. And it's funny, there's six of them. <laughs> and there's probably more, Gates can tell you. But, but if I were to ask you, hey, which one of these do you want to do without for the next day and a half? That would be a very hard decision because you would die. I guess most of us would, if we had to, maybe probably guess like, like a skeletal system, like I'd just be a gloop on the floor. Or maybe we could try to just go without the digestive system. I wouldn't recommend it, though. Without any one of these, you're dead. And in the same way, a soldier would die without the full armor. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to paint a picture of what it's like to neglect some of these. Okay? So the first one we're going to look at is righteousness. Modern Christians, I believe, and we're, we're, we're guilty of this, I'm guilty of this, I feel like we've watered down the idea of righteousness. What do I mean? We probably all know the scripture. All your, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. It means like our righteousness doesn't really count for anything because we can't be perfect like God. So, I've known people that are like, well, then why even try? Or, this is another common one, it's not about like right living, it's about a right relationship with God. That's true. It's true. But what it does is it, it waters down in our heart the need to live rightly. And my concern is it's possible to explain away the need to live like Jesus. We can do that. You can do that. With enough mental gymnastics, you can say, well, I don't really need to love people like this or do this or stay pure or like fight for this. Or I don't need to do any of that because all my righteous deeds are like filthy rags and it's not about righteous living. It's about a right relationship, blah, blah, blah. God sent us a perfect example of how to live through Jesus. It was like, hey, here's humanity. Hey, you need someone to show you how to be human. And so he sent his son. Perfect example of how to live. And it came at a great cost. And yet we think that we can have a healthy relationship with God by rejecting all that. A healthy relationship with God must demonstrate that I see his son and strive to follow in his steps. Now, the flip side is, you say, well, that sounds like legalism. Like, are you saying that you can, like, earn God's love? Nope, yeah, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, in a relationship, you don't get to just sit around and be lazy all the time and expect things and be entitled. You wouldn't like it if your kids did that with you. Your spouse wouldn't like it if you did it with them. And yet, my fear is that we can discard the breastplate of righteousness and be like, well, and we're going to get to this, we can be like, well, I'm saved, so does it really matter? And so what I want is for us to recommit, like, man, I want my life to look like Jesus' life. 
But that's hard. Let's move on. The gospel of peace. And you might be like, sweet, I'm, I'm peaceful, I'm chill, I have peace. <laughs> or you might be saying, well, I believe in the gospel, so I have, I have these shoes, right? But this, this actually might not be referring to holding the gospel of peace, having the gospel of peace. It is the readiness to bear and carry the gospel of peace. Instead of asking, do I have the gospel of peace, ask, am I delivering the gospel of peace? Because some of you have it and are not delivering it. You're, you're not telling people what Jesus has done for you. You're not showing the gospel of peace by the way you live. Sometimes we can show that the gospel of Christianity is so overwhelming that I'm about to have an aneurysm right now. And everyone looks at that because that's the, that's the message you're carrying forth to the world and they're like, wow, that looks fun. Have fun with that. No, thank you. So people see your gospel and go, nah, I'm good. Because there's no good news in that gospel. And Paul, in Romans 10, he mentions this in verse 15. He says, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he's quoting Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, 7. This is where we get the basar, the euangelion. This is where we get the word gospel and evangelist. It's how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And the armor of God is what makes our feet beautiful again. (laughs) Some of us don't have beautiful feet. But the armor of God makes our feet beautiful. Why? Because of the message that we're carrying. It gives them a message to deliver to a hurting world. And this is an easy one to just leave out. Let's keep going. The shield of faith. We know this, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. But in, in our modern world, this is tricky because we like to put our faith in the things that we see. I'll believe it when I see it. And that's great for everything except anything you need faith for. Because once you, once you have to see it to believe it, you're stepping out of the realm of faith, and now it's just proof and evidence. And so we like to put our faith in other things. Things like, we talked about this in our, in our um, politics series. We went down, we did that list of campaign promises, Remember? Throughout the generations, all the presidents, this is what they ran on, never came true. But every election cycle, we're like, yes. Now, it's, not, it's probably not going to happen what they said they were going to do. And you have no proof that it's going to happen, and yet you believe it. So you are, you are certain of the things that you cannot see. And so what I'm saying is that sometimes we can put more faith in a in a politician than we can in Jesus Christ. 
Because when it comes to spiritual stuff, we withhold our faith until it's like demonstrated. Like, make your case, let me see it, and then I'll buy on or not. And so you might actually be wearing someone else's armor. You might be wearing the armor with the shield of faith for some other thing. And not the armor of God. And then here's the last one before I go back to the two I skipped. The word, which is the sword. The sword, which is the word of God. And I'm just going to, we don't have to get too deep on this, guys. You've got to read your Bible. Man, can I just say that? Am I allowed as a minister, am I allowed to say, you've got to read your Bible? Come on, read your Bible. <laughs> Having an ongoing interaction with the word of God is a necessary part of the armor. And without it, I'm going to say this, you're dead. We just did this in uh, our campus Devo, and we studied this out uh, with Dari, who's studying the Bible. In John 12, 47, this is Jesus. It says, If anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And man, I wish it just stopped right there. Sweet. I don't have to pay any attention to what Jesus said. He said, you can ignore me and I won't judge you. Great. But that's not where it stops. Jesus says, there's a big but right there. It's an implied but. But there, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Jesus is saying, I came here to live a perfect life, die for your sins, set an example, but my teachings are the things that you will be judged by. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. And so, I know this gets back to the spiritual realm stuff, but do we even believe that we will be judged one day and that our lives will be held up to the word of God and God will be like, so how'd you do? And so when's the last time you dug into the Word of God? When's the last time you read an entire book of the Bible, just in one sitting? It's totally possible. It's not hard. Some of you will sit down with like a, a novel or a book of fiction and, and read for hours. And I'm not, I don't, that's not bad. I'm glad. Read. You should read more. <laughs> But then you act and you sit down and read the Bible for 10 minutes and you're like, this is violating the Geneva Convention, people. This is torture. How dare you force me to sit down and read the Bible for 10 minutes straight? I would encourage everyone here to take some time over Thanksgiving and read the Bible and, and read long portions of the Bible. You can sit down in a, in a day, in an afternoon, read an entire gospel. It's you, you think that sounds crazy. It's not. Just sit down. You can read the book of Mark in a sitting. I would encourage you to, you can read an entire epistle. One of the shorter ones. I mean, it's short ones. You can read in like three minutes. They're short. You can read the entire book of Acts easily in a weekend without even breaking a sweat. 
You could read the entire New Testament this week. And it's not hard. It's actually quite easy. I remember when I went, I was a baby Christian, and we went on a hiking trip, backpacking up in Isle Royal, and I just took a, like a little pocket New Testament. And I was like, yeah, I want to take my Bible, so I have it with me. And then I ended up reading the entire New Testament that week while hiking. It wasn't hard. It was actually quite easy. And I loved it. And so, that's my challenge, guys. Just read the Bible. Like, I trust. I'm not even going to tell you what to read. Just read the Bible. There's something beautiful and, and miraculous at work when you encounter the Word of God. All right, I'm going to try to wrap this up, guys. I skipped two, and those are the, the belt and the helmet. And the reason why I skipped them is that these are the two that we, as modern Christian Americans, love. We might have an unhealthy love of these two. We love our truth. We love being right about stuff. And we love being saved, and we love telling people that we're saved. But sometimes we can hold on to the belt of truth so much that we never put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because we'll fight over, like, doctrine. I'm right, you're wrong. And going down the path of not loving people because we're right and they're wrong. We can take off our righteousness in the pursuit of our truth. We can put on the helmet of salvation and be like, mission accomplished, and then never need to take the gospel anywhere. I almost have this picture of like a guy wearing a helmet and no armor, and the, the Roman soldiers are like, so what are you going to do when they like shoot arrows at us? And he'll be like, well, I'll just like take it off and like hold it in front of wherever the arrow's going to go. Like, yeah, so you're dead, because that won't work. And so I feel like this is, this is who I do not want us to be, guys. <laughs> this buck-naked soldier running through battle with a helmet and a belt on, acting like we've got everything figured out. <laughs> but this is... Sadly, it's, fun, it's meant to be funny, but it's sad that this is, this is what I'm afraid the, the modern Christian religious person is. We're more concerned about being right and true that we'll sacrifice our righteousness. We care more about like knowing something and then we never have to actually build faith in that thing. And once we, once we can slap the label of saved on us, then we're done. And so, my point is that we need it all. You need to live a life where you're growing in maturity, and you see all of these things as vitally important. And so my question for us is just this. What, what part of my armor have I been neglecting? And think about it and talk about it. What part of my armor have I been neglecting? And I would just encourage you, like, your pride is going to want to make you say, like, 
nope, I'm good, I'm working on all of it, everything's good. But I want us to be a church that's so humble that we're open and be like willing to say, man, I just, man, I haven't, I haven't told anybody about Jesus in years. I'm barefoot in battle. And then lastly, we're going to wrap up and take communion here. I loved this. I was talking to Chad about this. The, the, the idea of Ephesians, the whole book, this idea of unity and oneness and togetherness. And so when Chad, he was like, man, when I think of the full armor of God, I don't think of like this guy. He's like, I think of this. Like, this is how soldiers worked together and operated Roman, Roman legions. And so, not only if you showed up to battle barefoot or without a shield, they'd be like, well, you're dead. But if you showed up to battle alone, all that stuff is like, well, have at it. But the way Roman soldiers and Greek soldiers would work together, in the Greek it was called the phalanx, and they would work together to create like this shell that they could like, like penetrate mobs and stuff, and they could like withstand complete arrow assaults with the way they worked together. And so when I think about the armor of God, I'm not just thinking about like you and your armor. I'm thinking about us and our armor. And that's what I think is the beautiful picture that Paul is trying to paint here. Guys, we're going to take communion. And next week, we are going to wrap up the entire book of Ephesians. We're going to talk about the last time. It's almost in one of the very last sentences. Paul uses that word mystery again. We're going to look at how Paul says, hey, we can partake in like revealing the mystery to people. And so it's going to be a beautiful end to this whole series. But let's, uh, let's pray for communion and we will take the bread and the juice. God, thank you so much for this uh, beautiful picture 